Uh, I'm your host, Jack Moore. So I'm one of the directors of WeShape. We're, we're a technology consultancy based in London. And I suppose just to recap what the LCL show is, uh, we're going to be speaking to some of the most interesting names in technology and leadership, speaking about their experience, their background, and some interesting stories along the way. So today we're fortunate enough to have Michael Tobin, OBE, join us. How's it going, Michael? Very good, thanks, Jack. How are you? I'm very good, thank Fantastic. you. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. Pleasure, pleasure. So, Michael, you're the former CEO of Telecity. You, you hold multiple NED and chairman positions in the data center business and the technology industry. You're also the author of multiple books, including Forget Strategy, Get Results, Live, Love, Work, Prosper. Uh, and you've actually got a, a, a new book out that came out recently, right? Yeah, absolutely. It came out in August, um, uh, Lifting the Floor, it's called. It's, um, it's revealing all the uh, secret stories of the, uh, of the data center industry since the early 90s. I mean, we, we kind of forget, um, because we take internet so much for granted, right? we forget there's loads of infrastructure behind it. You know, we talk about the cloud. You know, it's not really a cloud, is it? It's all kind of yeah, yeah. And routers and servers and everything in big buildings. And these buildings are called data centers. And they're all around us now. They're, they're kind of everywhere in the, in the world. And, um, and they consume tons of electricity and tons of, tons of kind of security involved in it. Mm. That's everything you do on the internet travels through these buildings. Yeah. And they only started in the, in the, in the mid-90s. Um, and it was a lot of fun and games. Nice. I'll definitely be, uh, what, what we'll do as well, I'll share a link on, on the video below um, to that book. Um, but I suppose, Michael, as a bit of an introduction, do you want to tell me a bit about yourself, your background uh, and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, born in Bermondsey in the East End, um, back when, when, uh, when God was a boy. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> long time ago, and uh, so so um, born to a to a sort of relatively um, well, very poor poor family, and uh, my father was a was one of a gang. He was a he was a villain, and uh, was in prison when I was born as well, apart from many other times. And he was quite violent to my mother. So when I was seven, she managed to escape with me, and we went to Africa um, by by. Sort of randomness and uh, ended up in a place then called Rhodesia, now called Zimbabwe. Yeah, Zimbabwe. And um, and yeah, what we didn't realise was arriving there in the early seventies, we were going from the frying pan to the fire, um, and just bounced into a civil war. So we were petrol bombed and shot at. Um, I think it was shot at about twelve, thirteen times. Um, one of them got me through the leg. Um, and, and my ripped jeans aren't because of that. It's just you know it's <laughs> a lot smaller there. Um, but uh, but I petrol bombed four times, I think. Um, one destroyed the house. So eventually we managed to escape back to the UK. And the problem back in those days was that um, they were stopping people getting out because there was a mass exodus. So they took everything from us at the airport in, in, in Harare, as the source was called. Um, so they took all our outer clothes, except the, literally the base layer we were wearing. They took our jewellery, our money, our, our, our luggage, everything. So when we landed back in London, um, we were refugees coming back into our own country. Yeah. With nothing. So um, we lived in a squat in Stockwell, and um, this went on for a few years, but basically we were in a condemned house waiting for demolition, and we'd break into other condemned houses along the street um, and find things that people had left there for, 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 um, um, just because they couldn't be bothered to take it. And very often they would leave a piano, and we'd take the pianos out, and we'd roll them down the Old Kent Road and sell them in East Street Market for, for 20 quid each, and that, that's what we survived on. Yeah, yeah. Then I did an apprenticeship in electronics engineering and um, managed to you know, blag my way through my early career and um, eventually moved to Paris, spent 11 years in France building 
um, businesses, mainly U.S. businesses across Europe. Yeah. And, um, spent three years in Copenhagen, setting, uh, turning around a, a mainframe business from um, ICL into a into a um, managed services business, and then went to Germany with Fujitsu um, to set up their e-business operations, and then the dot-com bubble burst. Yeah. And I whizzed back to London and um, with, a, with a two-year-old born in Copenhagen and a two-week-old born in Frankfurt and uh, ended up, um, again, not doing my due diligence properly, picking up an asset called um, Redbus, which was a listed company um, worth about $6 million on the main list mm. on the FTSE. Um, but it had $6 million in the bank but was burning 2.3 a month. So it was like one payday, two paydays, gulp. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I uh, didn't know what to do. We delisted it, managed to um, consolidate it with a business called Telecity. Telecity was a, um, a data center company as well, and we managed to uh, take them public again in 2007, and, um, and we eventually sold it in 2015 for $2.6 billion. Wow. And then since then, I've just been bumming around doing lots of non-exec work and uh, quite a bit of charity stuff as well. No, nice. That's an absolutely amazing story. Um, I mean, I I, I used to work down Brick Lane Market as well, uh, blogging a few things here and there. So I could, but hats off to you from from some of the challenges you had uh, early early on in life. Hats off to you from to getting where you are now, basically. But I suppose just to let some of our viewers get to know you a little bit more. Uh, Michael, I hope you don't mind, but I, I would like to do a bit of a quick fire round where I'm just going to throw questions oh, at you. Some, okay. <laughs> some serious, some not so serious. Okay. And if, I want you to basically just tell me exactly what comes to your mind. And, and what, single, single word answers or uh, single line answers? Single line okay, answers. Okay, some okay. of them will just naturally be single yeah, yeah. words, but right. I'll start off with a nice easy one. So yeah. favorite technology company? Oh, that's not an easy one. That is so not an easy one. I hate Apple. I'm, I'm <laughs> a complete compulsive user of Apple, and I feel like I belong to a gang that I can't get out yeah, of without yeah. getting my head cut off. Right? <laughs> so, um, but I, I like, oh, God, no, don't tell me. And it's supposed to be a one-liner. Okay, um, I like Waze. Waze? It gets me around London. But now I've got an electric scooter, so I don't need it as much. What's, this, this might be a bit easy for you. No. What's your favorite movie? all time ah okay so um funny enough i re-watched um the big short last night that's a brilliant film. which is a brilliant film but um but i'm but i love i love all the um uh the coen brothers stuff but i think shawshank redemption is probably my uh, my favorite i watched that this week like honestly the bit where he plays the music <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Uh, one of the locks, best the door, locks the door, just sits there and lets everyone go. And that's not, that's not in the book, <laughs> that bit as well. So right. it's, such a, yeah, it's such a brilliant film. But, so when you're hiring someone, yeah. do you go for skills or attitude? Oh, 1,000% attitude. Um, you know, look, I'm sorry, but, but I can train a skill, but I have never been successful at training an attitude. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very, very much a... Um, can, can I can I engage with this person? Does he inspire me? Yeah. Uh, and or her and and you know if all that works, skill is irrelevant. I'll get them to do something fantastic. Nice. And I mean, the last day on earth, what what would you eat? What, what would I eat? Um, well, you know, I just had this fantastic lunch um, up in up in King's Cross, um, but uh, which which is uh, with a few friends of mine. But I must admit, I do love a wagyu steak. Wagyu steak, nice. Yeah. Which industry do you think is most ripe for disruption at the moment? Well, um, you know, the, 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 when, when Uber has become a, a verb as well as a noun, I think 
you know, we talk about every industry being being uberable, mm. right? And I think if you're not looking at using technology in your in your industry, you will fall behind. absolutely fall behind and die a horrible death. And you know, the technology itself is no longer an industry; it's just a tool within all industries. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I think that um, you know, if, if you if you look across the board, you know, we've had certain sort of revisions of the financial industries. I mean, health at the moment probably is the one that has the most opportunity around it for for tech. I mean, ranging from, I was up at Cambridge the other day um, and there's a a business there where they're converting um, standard CCTV cameras into reading your pulse and your heartbeat and your temperature, which is quite quite, um, sort of an issue now where people are measuring your temperature when you go into a restaurant with a, Mm. you know, for COVID. But imagine if you had this in an old age home where people didn't feel, or even at home with elderly people, you know, and, and you can't keep 24-7 check on them. But, but even before they feel ill, you could detect that they were ill, right, and deal with it then. I think, you know, tech has so much, you know, we just experienced through COVID the, um, you know, push doctor, all the kind of remote sessions with your doctor rather than going into the surgery. You know, the amount of, of contribution tech can make, I think, to health mm. is spectacular. Nice, and I, I suppose like this is a bit different to what, to what we just discussed. But I mean, what, what's your favourite sport to play? Ah, play or watch? Yeah, play, you play. see, that's important because um, I was I, I played for um, uh, uh, Rhodesia Juniors as a kid when I was out there, and uh, all by luck, by the way. And I had I had offers from Newcastle Wolves and Northampton Town. Really? Um, to, what position? Were you? I was right back. Really? Number two. Yeah. So. Um, but I had, they used to call me tree trunks because my legs were so chunky at that time. Yeah, yeah. And I'd just go flying in and everything was a sliding tackle. It was a one-off option. You know, if the, if the winger passed me, it was a goal, but uh, you rarely, you rarely passed me. But um, I, don't, I don't play so much nowadays. I, you know, I run a bit and I ride my scooter around and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I love rugby to watch, though. Oh, my God. And by the way, I played rugby with Lewis Moody at the South Pole in January. Really? So I did a trek to the South Pole to raise money for, for um, children with brain tumors with Lewis Moody. And um, what a player as well. He's, he's, he's a mad dog. Matt, he's a crazy lad. He's man. someone, I think I remember reading that he puts uh, his performance ahead of his own physical well-being. Well, he does, and anyone else's as well. That's that it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I read, I'm reading Eddie Jones's book at the moment as uh, well. Absolutely, another legend, yeah. No, but, um, no, but Lewis is a lovely friend and... Um, you know, so we, we, we decided to have a, a rugby match at, um, at 10,000 feet altitude in, at, the, <laughs> at the South Pole. That's amazing. Um, which, uh, which probably is my last time I'm going to play rugby. Right, Michael, name one thing on your bucket list. Um, well, I have, I have a ton of stuff, right? And, and um, you know, I, I say going to the South Pole and trekking to the South Pole itself was, was one of them. Um, yeah, I did 40 marathons in 40 days a couple of years know, ago yeah. as well, which was a bit crazy. Um, well, I don't even run for a bus now, um, <laughs> but 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 I but I think that um, you know you, you've you've got to have you've got to have something that puts you out of your comfort zone. I've swum the sharks, I've jumped out of planes, I've done all these things, right? Yeah. But but I but I really would I really I want to see every part of the world, and there's still parts of the world which I should have seen this year. For example, I wanted to go to Machu Picchu. Right. I haven't seen much. I, I want to like tick off every country. Yeah. In the world. I've never been to New Zealand, and I must go, especially because of my love of rugby. As a rugby fan, I was going to say yeah. that, yeah. You know, so, so I think it's, it's the ability to tick off every country. And there's not many left, but there's a couple of countries still to go. 
No, that's a brilliant uh, aim to have. And there's, I, I don't think there's many people in the world that could have actually visited every single country. Well, I'm getting close, I'm getting, close, I'm getting so. close, but there are a couple, yeah. Okay, CEO you most admire. Um, you know, I, to be honest, I have no idea who most of the CEOs of the companies. You know, I, I think I think there's a lot of cool companies out there. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, Bezos is a crazy guy, right? Because he's 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 just he saw it. You know, the image of Jeff Bezos that I like the most is is the one where you see that he's taking his door off his office, which is about you know five square meters. Yeah. And he and he's using the door and a couple of um, bin. Dustbins, dustbins to yeah. use as a desk, right? And that's how he started Amazon. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's you know, spray paint, spray paint. Yeah, with his kind of spray well. paint Amazon on the wall. And you kind of think, you know, that guy. You know, and and I love stories like that. And I'm sure there's many, many stories where 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 a kind of a founder has become um, a great CEO. But but I must admit, um, you know, there is an entrepreneurial dynamic to founders that doesn't always lend itself to a great CEO as in running a business yeah. for efficiency's sake. So they come up with great ideas, great positioning, great vision. But, you know, I found it best when they team up with someone that's more a sort of a, um, a COO, like an yeah. operations guy that can actually execute where mm. someone else has the vision. It's very rare to bring them both together. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, it's, you yeah. I, I don't, I don't kind of admire CEOs that much. I, you know, I like, I, I like CTOs, um, you know, I like guys that have the kind of techie. Cap- they're, they're, they I admire because they're much better. I, I find being a CEO is like an is like a is a conductor in an orchestra. Yeah, not- and can you name any conductors? Right, well, you get yeah, great, yeah. great violinists or great pianists, but who's the conductor? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and, and, and a really good CEO should disappear. Yeah, right, because he's simply there to it's enable, the team's work. Yeah. Yeah, enable the team. No, I, I mean. For- for startups raising money, right? There's going to be budding future CEOs, future yeah. founders who who will be listening to this. And I mean, startups raising money. Which which route do you think would be for the best? Sorry, which route is the best to go? Well, Angel know, VC investment, crowdfunding. What, I mean, what do you think? Look, I mean, you know, they they all have their things, and and I think crowdfunding is a is a an interesting concept which has done quite well. But um, personally, I think people are now starting to get wise to the concept that they, when they invest in a crowdfund, that they have extremely low exposure to what's going on in the company. It's just yeah. basically, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost like putting your money in a savings account and leaving it there until something ever happens and it may never happen. It may so, never, yeah. Whereas um, if, you, if you look at venture funds and, and seed capital and that sort of thing, I think you know, there's plenty of that around, but it's getting far more diligent in the way that it approaches. So the... the, the where, where, where you get it is less important for me than how you get it. And, you know, if, if you're a founder, right, and you can fund your business yourself Bootstrap. And, and, and borrow and beg, you know, for, for, for debt, and debt is free, basically, at the moment. It's cheap, right? And, and if you can get debt, if you believe in your business, why on earth would you give it away? 100%. Right? So, so hang on to as much equity as you possibly can for as long as you can. And the moment you start to grow and you give over equity to someone, especially if they have deep pockets, that's the moment that all the founders go and have a a bottle of champagne, right? And they think we're fully funded for growth. But every time that funding comes in again, they're getting diluted. And they've also now worked worked with a new person, or even potentially in some cases, worked for a new person. So 
they're now not the yeah they're not they're not they're, they're not owners of their own destiny anymore exactly. they're, they're beholden to people but that that dilution issue is super super important i've seen endless cases of Im- immensely brilliant ideas right yeah that then because they're so good get funding and funding comes in the shape of equity and not debt and then before they know it the the expansion requirements have generated so much equity participation that they have gone diluted out of sight yeah right so the business will be worth a ton but that founder but is not someone gonna, else yeah that founder's not going to see that right so hang on as long as you can using debt and everything else and debt, debt is not a bad thing people oh god i don't like debt it's cheap yeah yeah. Uh, I suppose there's a bit of a final question. I mean, you've, you've kind of told me quite a lot of interesting things about yourself Can't already. Be a but final question already. No, I'm, this is a quick fire round. Oh, I'm, oh right. Okay. <laughs> Don't, I'm worry. Say, I've like, Don't get I've, too I've relaxed. I've like five hours to this. <laughs> um, so, as a last quick fire uh, question, tell me something interesting about yourself. Um, well, I, I'm passionate about, um, about charities, and the reason I'm passionate about charity work is that I have a massive guilt complex about how lucky I've been. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I didn't go to university. I, I very little qualifications other than C's and O level. Yeah. Um, and I think that I've been lucky enough to be surrounded by brilliant people and just falling into the right locations. And I really like the bike, uh, bike night stuff as well. I know well, I yeah, that's I mean, uh, something you're involved with. Absolutely. I, I, did, I did bike night for many years and then I created my own version of it under their own guise with the um, Action for Children with... Uh, the, the the CEO sleep out. Yeah, you slept in um, slept in the uh, in the courtyard of uh, of the London Stock Exchange um, mm. with all the top CEOs of, of the country, and we raised um, you know a couple of hundred grand a year just for one night. That's That's fantastic thing. But look, I feel so guilty. I I, it, I do I, I do it out of guilt rather than um, out of some sort of benevolence or anything else. It's a purely self. My charitable work is a purely selfish act. Yeah, no, I can, I can see better. what you see about. That might be something that you, you should try and let go of, I suppose, in, in years to come. Yeah, some, I can't uh, afford a therapist. So. I was about to say, get a therapist <laughs> or something like that. Cool, so that's the end of the quick fire round. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't so clear. Quick, was it? I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Don't worry. It's very Nothing's cool. black and white, then. That's the thing. I no, thought no. it was going to be like, you know, sausages or bacon type thing. And then, you know, I could have easily. Right. Oh, even then, I couldn't say sausages. L- last one, and, and it's got to be one answer sausages okay. or bacon. Sausages. <laughs> cool. Okay, so let's let's try and get a bit, a bit more into the detail now, right? So, I mean, Going like one quick thing I picked up on your, your quick fire stuff. So you mentioned like the health has got a huge opportunity uh, for like the whole din- digital innovation piece. Yeah, I mean, for I know this is quite hard relating to the health uh, market, and I don't want it to be related to the health market to be, to, per se. But what would you recommend is the best approach for, for young entrepreneurs who are looking to disrupt a new market, to, like change the game? Like what what are the kind of key things they should be thinking. Yeah, I think so. So what is interesting, right? So, so, so th- there, is, there is more technology available today than you will ever need. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and, and obviously, you know, it's going to get more every day. But, but the point is that what we, what we lack today is ideas of application. Yeah. Right. So, so I've got a business, for example, in, in Bristol called Ultraleap, which creates a sensation of touch for ultrasound. So in other words, in midair, you can press a button and you can feel you've pressed the button, but there's no button there. And, mm. and generated by, by directing ultrasound into a single point where your finger is, right? Yeah. And, and so you got that amazing tech, but what do you do with it? And, and we, we created a team that just basically started a competition, a global competition, 
where people could come up with applications for this technology, right? And they'd get a, a big prize of like a hundred grand or whatever, you know, support structure or whatever. And 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 so so people came up and they said, okay, well, in today's COVID. Um, you know, don't press elevator buttons in hospitals because that's the biggest spread of MRSA. So you yeah. press the button without touching the button. Or, or if you're going to touch a hot, you know, the, the hob on a, on a cooker, right? Rather than it being hot, you put your hand there and, and it vibrates in your hand before you even touch it. Really? And all these things started to come up, right? And so, and now, and now we've got um, a large um, fast food chain that has these um, panels at the, at the entrance where normally you'd, you'd order before you got to the, to the front of the counter. Yeah. Well, touching that is no good anymore through the COVID time. So now you can touch it without t- without touching it. You just like reach out and it comes to the buttons yeah. come to you. And so, so the applications are where you need to think. Forget technology. Yeah. Just forget it. There's enough out there. What we lack is 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 the creativity of finding applications. And very often you could start with, you know, what is a pain in the ass for me to do? Mm. Right. Think about what is painful for you to do every day. Right or what you don't like or what you could do better in your little bubble, right? and then try and find a bit of tech that fixes that, simplifies it. Yeah, so that's what they say. Is being like simplicity is one of the hardest things to actually absolutely do. Um, absolutely, we get you know it's and, easy and, to be complicated, and, yeah. and also you know people get into get deep into things like you know some version of a programming application or or you know some language or, or whatever. That's all very good, and there's obvious needs for those things. but actually you've got to start with a need like what is the obvious need because you've got this obvious needs for it what is the obvious need Mm. start there you know if someone can drive a bus better if someone you know i don't know if someone's plane uses 10 percent less energy then think about what the application what the technology is behind it and how that can be yeah Oh, nice. I mean, I suppose I know you kind of covered this a little bit when, at the start of the the interview, but I mean, going back to an industry you know very well, so like the data center business. Mm. What are your thoughts around public cloud providers like AWS, GCP, Azure, these guys? Like, like based on your experience in the business? Yeah, I mean, they, they, they <laughs> you know, we, we've technology is like toothpaste, right? Once you squeeze the tube. It's very hard to get it all back in. Yeah. If you don't use it, it's not going to go back in the tube. So once something's invented, right, yeah. it's not going away, right? Yeah, it might yeah. be superseded, but it ain't going to be forgotten. So, so we, we have an environment now. And by the way, in history, technology, you know, computer, computer technology has gone kind of in sources. So we had mainframes, right? Yeah. That's all centralized. And then, and then, you know, Microsoft came along and said, oh, we're going to decentralize with the PC, you know, the IBM and the Microsoft. And we, everyone's going to have a computer. And now we say, well, the cloud is where it all is again. And you're just going to have this terminal that connects to the cloud. So, you know, analysts and, and advisors and everyone, they make a living constantly by telling us how to migrate from centralized to decentralized. And yeah, yeah. And everyone takes a generation. And so, so look, I mean, we're in a phase now where it makes total sense that the hyperscalers, these, these AWSs and Azures and, and, and these people um, are the way forward. And it's very convenient that... You know, if we lose our phone, we know that we can just back it. We've backed up to the cloud yeah. and we just drop it's it back in again. again. Yeah. And, and that cloud needs to live somewhere, right? So, but there's physical infrastructure behind that. And, and, that, and that, you know, that in itself is an industry that's burgeoning. It's mm. just burgeoning. But when people think about the hyperscalers as being a cheap option versus something dedicated, mm. that's where I have an issue because... Nothing in the in the history of of, of efficiency has been um, more flexible and quicker to operate and all that 
for less money. Yes. Usually you pay a premium for flexibility. You pay a premium to turn it off and on as quickly as you can. Yeah. Right? If you buy it yourself, then you know, then you pay one time. But if you want it for a week, you're gonna pay more than one fifty second or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. So 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 in, in reality, those those cloud applications are only efficient if they are extremely well managed. Mm-hmm. And we're going through a kind of a, we're, we're, we're learning what we don't know about these things at the moment in general, in, 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 um, in most enterprises. So they're, they're dabbling with the public cloud. Um, but in reality, what, what everyone ends up with is a hybrid solution of dedicated infrastructure, right? And a bit on public cloud. Yeah. So, and when the, the percentage will vary, but you will have stuff that you, that is dedicated. You'll have stuff that is, housed somewhere else but proprietary to you and there'll be stuff that you don't know where it's housed and you're just using it for instances and if you take like, someone like nike right their business spikes every four years because of the football world cup yeah right so do they tool up to, um, tech wise do they tool up capacity wise for that spike and have to pay for that spike for the entire four years yeah or do they tool up for the lower level for three and a half years and then burst purchase for that peak and then carry and on back. the low one. So that's the question. And, and, and the answer is a bit of both. Yeah. Right. So, and that's the best way to take advantage of the cloud and, and you know, public versus private and that sort of thing. Yeah. I, I suppose I know a, a lot of people and a, a lot of like government agencies, financial institutions always worry about the security side right. of it as well. Right. Is there, I mean, based on your time at Telecity, I mean, do you think that that, is a concern that people should be worrying about, like the likes of AWS, GCP, as your honestly, big, no. the, big public uh, the, the, the big public cloud guys are as, as secure as, any, as anything yeah. else. I mean, ultimately, um, you'll always find people to hack um, that that hack, and you know, having a signature is not secure. Yeah, right. So Understood. you know, it's it's just about having common sense, really. You know, if you if you're putting sensitive data you can you can build firewalls you can build firewalls within the public cloud environment you know you've just got to be sensible yeah and, you know there are many tools out there it's a bit of a mugs game as well though right you know so so you know you, you get a speed a speed camera in the street i mean right outside our our, our windows here there's yeah, a speed there's camera right there yeah right and so i know it's there whenever i drive past here i slow down because i know it's there right um but if i didn't know it was there i'd have a little beep 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 on my on my sat nav it tells me it's there so then they have cameras that don't register on the beep, beep, beep. So then they, they, it's always this kind of one-upmanship between, yeah. you know, sort of... And, and That's the always, same, that battle's always going to be going on yeah, as well. And, and, the same, and the same with hackers, right? The hacker will always try something, you always come up with new tech, you'll then hack that, you yeah. come up with new tech again. Yeah, no, 100%. It's like do the Lion you, King. Do, do you get um, speeding tickets on the scooter? Uh, no, that, I'm, I'm, I'm limited at 20 kilometers an hour <laughs> on the scooter. But, yeah, but, um, but I... Uh, but I must admit, you know, if I, if I if I could, it even limits itself going downhill, which is very frustrating. Because really? yeah, I thought I could like speed up yeah, downhill, yeah. but it doesn't. It kind of has some sort of friction charge thing in it. Oh, nice. Okay, so I mean, going back over the years as well. I mean, building a business is is tough, right? Running yeah. a business the size of uh, of Telecity is very tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, are you able to kind of share some of the the biggest challenges you faced throughout that, and how you overcome them? Well, I think I think the first thing is, um, you, you know, the, the 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 key kind of spoke about sort of 
CEOs as being conductors, right? And, yeah. and, and, and your orchestra is what makes the music. The CEO as the conductor doesn't make any music. Mm. In fact, the quieter he is, mm. the better it is, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, so the first thing to do in, in whatever size business you have is find the best possible people you can possibly find in every position right whether that's a cfo or whether it's a tech guy or whatever it is the best person you can afford and take him for it or her for their for their ability to be adaptable mm. right darwin didn't say the fastest or the fittest or the richest or the or the strongest survived he just said the most adaptable yeah right so you've got to have people with a mentality that says flex right and the rate of change of change is increasing. Yeah. Okay. So, so what, you know, if you spend five years, uh, if you spend five months writing a five year business plan, yeah. right. By the time you release the business plan, it's probably usurped by someone that you didn't realize was doing something different. Yeah. Right. So, so get on and get stuff done with a vision rather than a strategy and learning that there's a semantic, but important difference between those words, vision and strategy was one of my biggest challenges, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and obviously my first book, Forget Strategy, Get yeah, yeah. a bit tongue-in-cheek. But what it is, is have a vision. Forget how you get there, right? But what do you want to be famous for is a good way to put your vision, right? What do you want to be famous for in five years' time? You want to be the best company that does this. Great, okay. If you imagine you're a, you're a, you're a sailor and you go like, okay, my, 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 my vision is um, I'm going to have lunch in Calais tomorrow by the by the by the docks yeah and you wake up in the morning in dover and the wind's blowing 100 percent against you well is that game over yeah, yeah, yeah right well okay so if you had a strategy that you would go in this direction to calais it would be game over but if you your vision was simply you do that well you may have to tack a few more times and you may have to start an hour or two earlier because you're tacking more yeah but your vision doesn't change you're still going to have lunch in calais yeah, yeah yeah right so so it's slightly different, but it's a massively important difference. Surround yourself and then impart that vision. Tell those people around you what, they, what you want us to be famous for, and then go and let them do their thing. Yeah, yeah. Tell them what to do. I think sometimes as well, people can just get like lost in so much planning as well. Like, so sometimes you, you find yourself planning to plan, yeah. to plan to execute, and it's yeah. just like... Well, Mad if you think of it like that. Well, if you look at Microsoft, for example, right? So years ago, they said, you know, that's the last, you know, kind of big release of anything you're yeah. going to do. Now you're just going to get weekly updates. And they don't care that they release something that's imperfect. Yeah. Right? They know that every week they're going to give you an update. And now we've become so used to it that every week, you know, overnight, when we're not even there, we're getting release X, released X plus five. And, yeah. You know, and, and we're, we're accepting these, these failures as part of the, the road to success, mm. right? So success doesn't become a destination. Success is the journey, mm. right? And if we can look at it that way, and also I, I'm a great believer in, 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 in the fact that um, if you're going to push these boundaries and you're not going to have rules and you're not going to tell someone how to do it, and by the way, if you find the best tech guy or the best HR person, right, why would you then go and proceed to tell them what to do? Exactly, yeah. It's like the old, old famous saying, you've got higher, higher people, like the best people to do the job. You don't tell them how to do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And then why would you even think you could? Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. So, but, but the point is, right, so once you've hired these guys, let them do that. Now, if you're asking them to do things that they've never done before, yeah. they're going to 
fuck up on some things. Yeah. Right. Of and if they do, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Unless they do the same thing 20 times. But, but the point is, right. At home with my kids, we don't have failure and we don't have um, mistake as, as words. Yeah. We say you succeed or you learn. Yeah. Okay. And, and when you're pushing the envelope constantly, right, you must anticipate that people will not get it right. Yeah, yeah. And those are the only lessons you truly learn. If you get it right, that could have been luck. Yeah. Still doesn't mean to say it's not, it, it will be the same again the next time because dynamics and circumstances might be different. But if you get it wrong, you know exactly what circumstances will create what outcome. Yeah, I think I think the the, the point on like being able to, like hiring people to be like who are easily can adapt mm. uh, and change and and also you've got to be very like you you need to be able to adapt yourself because I mean I'm sure there's a lot of founders, a lot of CEOs, a lot of managers, a lot of engineers themselves who. Uh, would go into work this week and a massive pile of crap just landed on their lap, right? So, I mean, terrible things happen in business. You do have to adapt to... I mean, has there ever been a time in your career where it's been a real kind of make-or-break moment uh, in building one of the businesses? Uh, and, and I suppose what happened? Well, I mean, that, you know, when I, when I didn't do my due diligence in joining Redbus back in the day, it was a nightmare. And I talk about this in, in uh, Lifting the Floor, but... Um, but basically, uh, you know, we were bankrupt. Yeah. And there was an, and, and because it was an infrastructure business, it, it wasn't something you could just turn around. Yeah. Right. And I remember going out. So I'd closed as much as I could. We'd taken 400 people down to 80, which was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Um, but I had to focus on the 80 people I was keeping rather than the, the you know, the 320 I was letting go. Um, but I went out to Prague to open our new facility and all I could think of was another quarter of a million quid a month burn because yeah, yeah, yeah. it was empty. And we had the British ambassador, the Czech Republic there and everything else. And, and I was just like, this is a disaster. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I had no idea what to do. No idea. And I got back on the plane and we took off. And it was a really bumpy flight out of Prague and landed back in London. And um, it's, they were commenting that there were massive rains across Central Europe. And, and like, Two days later, the, the Danube burst its banks and Prague flooded. And my data center completely went underwater, 40, 40 feet of water. Oh, God. And so I immediately got on a plane, went to the insurers, right? And we were insured for 48 million quid. And I said, give me 8 million pounds now and I'm out of here. Right? And they, we cut the deal on the day. That 8 million quid kept us going for another four months where I found new investors. Yeah, yeah. Right? And the rest is history. Now, point one, right? A 2.6 billion business right, was because it rained. Okay. <laughs> Secondly, I didn't do a rain dance, didn't know how to do one. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, so part of, if anyone says they're successful, yeah. that doesn't accept the, the very significant contribution of fortune mm. in there, they're just bullshitting and just smile politely, give them a drink and walk away. Yeah, yeah. Right? Right. So, 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 you need fortune. Now, fortune is all around us. Yeah. The question is, how do we react to it? How do we, how do we see it and how do we react to it? And I would urge everybody, right, in, especially in startup environments and everything else, you know, you have, it's, it's not easy to start businesses in Latin life because you have liabilities. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You get families, you get mortgages and blah, blah, blah. So your, your ability, your appetite for risk 
drops. It's not even your appetite. It's just the it's your capability of consuming risk just drops through the floor. Yeah. Right. However, when you're younger and when you've got less liabilities, you can take risk. And when it doesn't go right, first of all, that's school fees of learning. Yeah. Right. And you, you know, this is a big thing as well, right? So um, in the US, when someone fails, if they, let's say they, they, they run out of cash, right? In, in the UK, if, if that happens, someone says, never invest in them. They ran out of cash and they went bankrupt. Yeah, yeah. In the US, they go, ah, oh, so that guy ran out of cash, went bankrupt. He's not going to make that mistake again, right? I'll invest in him. He's de-risked. It's, it's a much more sensible way of right. thinking as well, right? So, so if you can adopt all these things in your life that you see as obstacles, yeah, yeah. right? And turn them around and say that for every obstacle I get across, I am putting a differentiator between me and my competition. Mm. Right? Think of them as of hurdles. You know, every time you get over one and you're comp- and it was hard, yeah, yeah. you know that competition is not everyone is going to get there. So each time you get over a hurdle, all you're doing, you should embrace those challenges mm. because all you're doing is differentiating yourself from your competition. So back in the day, way before internet and tinternet and all that stuff, yeah. and I was sitting in New Bond Street Tube and I was 16 years old and I just got my letter um, to confirm that I got my apprenticeship nice, right, yeah. with, a rock, with a company called Rockwell Corporation, Industrial Automation. And um, I opened this thing gingerly, just like A-level results. And yeah, my God, what a nightmare poor kids were going through this year with A-levels and GCSEs and everything. Yeah. But um, I opened this letter of panic and I opened it up. And there was an old man sitting on the, t- on the bench, um, right, right by the platform, sitting, sitting on the bench next to me. And I'm sure he was so old he couldn't even read what was said on, on, this, on this letter. But he could see this big smile come up on my face when I realized I got my, my, my position as a friend. And he, t- he just looked at me like that and he put his hand on my shoulder and said, son, always go the extra mile because there's less traffic there. Yeah, yeah. Right? And this has stayed with me forever. So the single, single thing that I would offer to anybody is resilience is the difference. Yeah. Right? you just got to get up one more time then you fall over. That's all. Consistency, resilience. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's brilliant. I'm sure there's a lot of people that will, will definitely uh, see the value in that. I mean, I suppose going back to the leadership stuff, right, and the, being the conductor, like you said, I mean, when there, I mean, I'm sure you've been in many board meetings where there's been a lot of conflicting ideas. So mm-hmm. it's good to have people, like you mentioned, who are the best at what they do, adjustable, adaptable. I mean, sometimes... Big personalities and big people like that don't always get on or and they conflict and so on. I mean, how do you maintain control and keep everyone focused towards that? What do we want to be famous for yeah. uh, as that conductor? Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's right. And, and uh, actually, I, I, I witness it more now as chairman. Yeah. Um, bizarrely. Um, because, you know, you, the, the, the role of a leader is, and I think it was Ralph Nader that said this, the role of a leader, 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 a leader, um, is simply to create more leaders. Yeah, that's the only role he has, right? And if you can create a leader rather than a manager, yeah, right, then that part of the business is fixed. Yeah, if you know what I mean, right? Now, so so when you have them all together, provided they have the right vision and you've imparted the vision correctly, mm. there shouldn't be too much conflict on where they want to get to. There may be some disputes about how they get there. Yeah. Right. But then we're going back into tactics and strategy again. Right. So we need to forget those mm. and go back into kind of what are you doing in your space 
that takes us to, to the vision that's that's in your you know if, if you the other thing about it is you know taking worry out of the equation right people worry for all sorts of reasons but we very rarely worry or fear the past yeah, yeah. and we very rarely worry or fear the present because we're dealing with it but we very often worry or fear about the future and this is like wasted energy right it's like paying interest on a debt you haven't even drawn yet. Yeah, yeah. Right? So either there is something you can do to affect the outcome that you're worried about. Yeah. In which case, do it. And the, the worry would deplete. And the, and the worry would deplete. Or there's nothing you can do to affect the outcome. In which case, why worry? Yeah, yeah. There's no worry will not change it. Yeah. Right? So, 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 so much energy wasted. Right. Yeah. So simply taking those, because very often what you'll see is if everyone's got the same goal, right? And they're debating about, you know, if they go back into their zones and say, what, do you, what, what can you affect yeah. to get to the goal? Ignore what other people are affecting here. What can you affect to get to that goal and do it, mm-hmm. right? Then you find that the, that the issues fall away. The other thing about issues are often um, simple. You know, there's two ways to make yourself look good in life. Mm. One is to grow, put your head above everyone else's. And the other one is to push everyone else around you down. Yeah. Either way, you'll stand out. Right? Yeah, yeah. And and the, the, the latter is not a particularly attractive no. um, approach, but sometimes is effective in the short term. And it's a trait that people can always see straight away. If someone's doing that, it's very recognizable. Like, people recognize that. So so if you have a team, right? And, and when I when I ran Telecity, I used to have a fantastic team of of leaders that that you know we we spent a long time. Every month we would go away um, as a group. Yeah. Every quarter we'd bring spouses. So there was a, a common understanding of people's ethos. Yeah, yeah. To know that no one's trying to push anyone else down. Yeah, yeah. And once you get that out of the room and you go back into, we're, we're collectively trying to be giants here. Right? Actually, a lot of the conflict is just buzzing about how a better way to do it, but actually it's not conflict at all. No. It's enhancing a, a concept, right? So, so you've got to find the people that, that work together like that. Nice. I mean, I mean, going on a bit of a different like subject. I mean, you've got a very unique approach to work-life balance, right? Um, yeah. I mean, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, so so um, my second book, Live, Love, Work, Prosper, is about this, and and it, and really, it, it, the whole premise is that work-life balance doesn't work. Yeah. Right. And you effectively have to engage in both of those. You have to blend them together. Mm for you not to compromise one or the other. Yeah. Right? And, and there was this article I read um, years ago that, that, that was, uh, it was a, a group of middle managers in the UK were asked a certain number of questions. And, um, and one of them was, um, you know, do you lie to your spouse about when you work from home? 74% of people responded said they lie to their partner about working from home. Yeah. Right. Now think about that just as a concept of a second, right? So, you know, you come home, you lock yourself in the toilet and you're doing emails. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, you, you were told by the wife, do not do your bloody emails. I'll be guilty of that. And on right. holiday. Right. Uh, exactly. Uh, Same okay. thing. Same Massive thing. stuff on the wrist. So now think about this, right? And, and so now you're lying to your partner, your, your life partner. You're lying to them. And then the next morning you go back in the office, right? 
And and because the bosses insisted you did that and you couldn't you felt you couldn't wait till the next morning or you, or you couldn't tell your, your partner about it. Suddenly, in, in the office the next day, you're seeing people there. Boy, well, that, that, that last request last night from the oh, did you have to trouble with your partner? Yeah, yeah. And now suddenly you're in you're engaging in a more honest way with somebody in the office. Yeah. Then you are with your partner at home. And is any wonder that there's affairs in the office start to happen? Right? Yeah, yeah. So, so, but if you came home and said, look, I, you know, I'm, I know, I know it was my time to bath the, the kid tonight, and I'm really sorry. And look at this terrible email I've just got from my boss. I'm going to tell him, sod off. Yeah, yeah. Right? And then your partner will go, hang on a minute. I know I was supposed don't to do that, that tonight, yeah. but, you know, we, we need your promotion. And, and I, you know, I get it that if you don't do this, there are three peers that might do this. Look, I tell you what, I'm going to phone my friends, right? Give you the 10 minutes. I'll quickly sort out the bath time. And, and then we're all back in the game. Right? Everyone's a winner. Everyone's a winner. But you look like your partners in the view outwards. Yeah. Right? So you're saying, look, you know, we're all engaged in this. So life and work is now intertwined. Yeah, yeah. And if you leave your partner out or if you try and make a break, at six o'clock, I'm done. Mm. You know, there are certain there are certain occupations you know, if you're a bus driver and, you know, fantastic work, but, you know, street sweepers and people like this that have a nine till five and it's a very clear nine till five, right? And, and then they can switch off at the end of that. Yeah. But when we think about the, 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 the world that we've chosen to live in, in entrepreneurial environments, entrepreneurs don't have a nine till five. 100%. Their brain doesn't switch off. My my, um, my uh, fiance, she's a she's a paediatrics nurse at the Royal London, right. uh, and we've had this conversation a thousand times because I think because her life and, and career has always been so regimented. Yeah, uh, it's been like right, this is the time you're here, and this is the time you, you can go. This is the time you get for for lunch. It's but 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 we're in kind of business, and that's from being a director and a founder of a business all the way down to being a consultant in a business. It's never that simple, like. Yeah. Stuff gets landed on your desk at six o'clock at night that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I felt for, for years there was always a bit of a clash around that, and that, that her understanding it and me, I suppose, trying to actually explain it well as well. Um, I mean, it's not a problem anymore because uh, I must have finally got that message out a bit more effectively. Um, but that, that's, a, I think, that's a, a, a that that scenario is happening a lot. Well, look, you know, I I I was divorced. Um, I wasn't a good husband, and um, you know, I, I had an affair through through meeting people in 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 a in another environment and uh, outside of my company, but uh, you know, in, in in a work environment, and um, you know, it was all pretty shitty, and I I, I paid a big price for that. Yeah. Um, and you know, none of it was anyone's fault but, but my own, and I was just I was in a very bad space, right? And um, and so you need to get yourself. You, you cannot position yourself and, and my, my current wife my I'm very happy and she gets the benefit of all my learnings now you see so yeah. you know I can I can uh, I can say that you know that those those mistakes were were lessons rather than than the mistakes but the point is that at any given time doesn't matter how successful you are you are massively susceptible to perceptions of need right so you know, you think, oh, I'm great, therefore, um, you know, I can do what I like, or I'm ignoring people at home because they don't count as much as my very important business, and all these different dynamics that you're choosing 
to, to, to apply to life and work are not the way that they're choosing to apply. Yeah, right? of course. So you're yeah. immediately going to get conflict. So if you try to bring your home life into work, mm-hmm. right, and you engage with your partners and say, I have this challenge. This is going to be painful. This is not going to be the holiday of a lifetime in the concept. So when, when I'm on holiday, every morning from 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock, I'm doing emails. Yeah. Most of the time, my, my missus is not at that time. So for her, she's fine. I, I don't care. You know, yeah, you're yeah. not taking my life away. I'm still doing what you like at yeah, 5 exactly. a.m. Yeah. Right? So there's a compromise. When I did my 40 marathons in 40 days, right, I couldn't take 40 days off. Yeah. So I did them from half past three in the morning to half past eight in the morning. Right? And then I'd finish with a keynote speech every day in a corporate that would sponsor me for that day. Yeah. So by 9.30, I could start my day job. Jesus Christ. Right? So, so the point is, these things we perceive as either ors very often are not either ors. They can always be integrated. integrated yeah. When we think about words like balance, we, we think about the measuring, the appropriateness of how much of this versus how much of that. And I would say, melange, right? Throw it all in a pot, mix it up, and then there's no, no difference. You can have as much of that as you like. Yeah, yeah. Because it doesn't need to be balanced. The entirety of it is balanced. Yeah. It's yeah. A taste. Yeah. No, 100, I mean, since writing uh, Live, Love, Work, Prosper, the world's changed dramatically, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, if someone said to me six months ago, I would get a seat on a on the Central Line train at rush hour, I'd think they were barking mad. I mean, the, the, the methods that you're just speaking about, do you think with the recent pandemic and remote working, do you, like... Is, is that as much relevant to people's lives today as it was when you wrote, wrote the book? It's even more so. I mean, you know, I, I advocated the fact that, you know, people should be working from home and you yeah, know, yeah. there shouldn't be, we work in the office, we don't work at home. And all yeah, that it's just yeah. Nonsense, right? So, and now we're seeing it. And actually, you know, we're, we're witnessing that people are actually more productive yeah. in certain circumstances, right? I mean, some people have, have challenges to find an environment at home. If you've got young kids or... You know, if you're if, if it's a very tight claustrophobic environment, it's not conducive to creativeness. Or, you know, so I, I can understand that. But generally, it's 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 opined by business leaders at the moment that actually working from home has been enormous success. Yeah, and people are more productive than even they were in the office with less stress of traffic, less stress of commuting, right? So, and they're calmer. Yeah, right. And and you know, everyone uses Zoom now. Right? Mm-hmm. And I was a great proponent of, of Zoom before. I used to travel on a plane three times a week. Yeah. You know, I, I barely, I, I can't see myself doing more than once a month when, when everything gets back to normal. Mm. So, you know, the world has fundamentally changed for the better, in my opinion, forever. Yeah. And it couldn't be more relevant now than it was when you, when you yeah, were out. I suppose. Absolutely. I suppose, like you mentioned the 40 marathons, right? 40 marathons in 40 days. As a as a guy who struggles to even get to the top of the stairs, I mean, what what was that like? Just tell me what that. Was it was like. awful. It was, <laughs> it was the worst thing I ever did until my South Pole trek. But um, but 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 I would say there were there were kind of so so you know your concept of not being able to do a marathon, right? Yes, yeah. you can do a marathon. Yeah, yeah. And the interesting thing is that that everyone can everyone can do a marathon. The body is the most incredible device. Yeah. The brain is what decides whether the body does it or not. Not the body. The body yeah. just does what the brain says, right? And can go through enormous challenges, enormous pain, enormous issues. 
as long as the brain is there to drive it. Yeah. So, so your, your mentality in life is, is everything. I had three days out of the 40 that were crazy. Like three days. So, so the obvious sort of chafing and the blisters and the bleeding yeah, and the toe, toenail lossing, losing, and all well, that sort of happened over the first few days. Well, <laughs> not, body's not designed for that either. Like even just the marathon alone. Mm-hmm. Like. You're right, you're right. So, and, and I didn't train much for it, right? So I kind of, you know, I, I kind of figured that by the end of it, I'd be fit, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so, so the first, you know, the first one or two, um, I, I really hurt. It really, you know. And, but, then, but then there was an interesting one. Um, day 21 was a very interesting day. And the, the reason was, again, it was mental because um, I, I had this concept of building up to halfway, yeah, and we always think about we try and break things down, which is a good way of getting through long issues or challenges. You can compartmentalize it into smaller pieces, and you know you're making progress. Right? Yeah, yeah. And in my mind, you know, once you hit, once you get twenty, I don't know why we call it the downhill slope, but you know, then you're on the downhill slope, right? So it's the second half. Yeah, yeah. And I woke up on the on day twenty one expecting to have this kind of right. I'm on the, yeah. And my mind played a trick on me. It just said, "You've got to do all that again." Oh no! <laughs> Complete reverse mental kind of, and I couldn't, I couldn't shake this this funk yeah, out of my yeah. head, right? And so, um, you know, I had to just get out there and start plodding. And, and the funny thing is, uh, you know, a, a marathon 42, 42 kilometers, right? Yeah, it's simply forty two thousand steps, right? So you just got to start putting one step in front of the, front other, of the other, yeah. And eventually you'll get forty-two thousand done. So, yeah. and 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 so that was one. And then the, the other one was day thirty-eight, and day thirty-seven was the day that Dell announced the um, uh, acquisition of EMC and VMware simultaneously. Yeah, yeah, right. And and the the guy in Silver Lake um, asked me. He said, "Look, um, they were the owners of Dell, and they said, he said, look, can you can you." Instead of start at half past three in the morning, and it was in August, right? Because there was the least chance of me having board meetings and everything else. So it was hot, and there was another benefit of doing half past three in the morning to half past eight in the morning because you didn't get the heat of the day and everything. But anyway, he said, Look, on this day, and this was day 37, yeah. he said, Could you start in Slough at nine o'clock and do a keynote speech to the VMware guys? And I'll give you a VMware running shirt. And then you run to the EMC clock tower on the, on the A4 flyover yeah. as you leave London, right? And then you do a keynote speech there, and then I'll give you an EMC VMware shirt, and then, and then you, run. you run to Oxford Street to Dell's offices, and then you do another keynote speech there with an EMC VMware Dell shirt. Yeah, and you yeah. do the publicity all the way along. So I said, fine, okay, as long as you, you know, donate to the charity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so instead of 42 kilometers, I did 58 kilometers that day, and it was in the blazing, it happened to be one of the hottest Hot days of the year. And the next day, day 39, right, I woke up sick, like physically like sick, right? And I, I just couldn't do it. And I said to my wife, I said, look, I've done 37 consecutive marathons, right? I've raised all the money. No one's going to ask for their money back. You know, even Eddie Izzard did 27. I've done 37. Yeah, right? yeah. Come on. And she said, get out that door, right? So she, she <laughs> said, I haven't put up your shit every morning, getting up at 3 o'clock, <laughs> running your ice bath for when you get home, you know, like putting up your rubbish for you to pull out now. Because she says, I know you. In two months' time, you're going to say, I regret failure. We're free, I'm going free to, go, to again. go. Yeah, I'm well. going to go again. So literally, oh, she pushed me out the front door, slammed it behind yeah. me, and said, don't come back until you've done 42 kilometers. And so this happened on day 38. And I don't know how I got through it, but day 39 and 40 were fine again. Yeah, yeah. And so it's all mental. That's brilliant. Every challenge in life is, 
is overcomable with a positive mindset. Yeah, that's a brilliant story. So, like, wrapping up, Michael, right? So, our, our audience and viewers include a lot of C-suite executives. There's a lot of future technology leaders. No that, kids, right? Because I've sworn a couple No, of no, no children. I mean, what, what advice would you give them around becoming a net? Okay, that's really interesting. Um, so so the, the role of a non-exec is, is quite, um, quite different, right? And I've been on the receiving end of um, what I would loosely call meddling non-execs yeah. as, a, as an executive, right? And it's unhelpful. And, and whilst um, advice, uh, advice and, help and support from a, non, uh, from a NED is very, very welcome, when they try and start to infiltrate your business and start trying to make things happen in your business, yeah. rather than advising the CEO on, on their experience to help him make the decisions, something very fundamental changes. So I think the first thing is, um, as being a NED, you've got to accept that you are not executive. Yeah. Right? You are not operational, and you're, you're so, you've got a couple of simple roles. You've got a, gov- if you've got a governance role. Mm-hmm. Right, making sure things are appropriately run, right? Yep. Especially if it's a public company for all shareholders, but also, you know, just generally, if you've got outside shareholders in a company, it needs to be um, governance checked for the appropriateness of all of all stakeholders. The second role you've got is to bring a certain level of um, experience to the table and and allowing um, the the CEO to kind of draw on different scenario that you could have gone through that just by definition he or she just hasn't had the time on earth to have gone through yeah. that, that volume of, of scenario. And then the final thing is to be a friend to the CEO. And the CEO is an incredibly lonely place. Mm. It's lonely. That you know you are in charge of all these people and yet and you're the you know the conductor is a lonely place. Yeah yeah all the orchestra is getting better applause for applause for, for wonderful music. Yeah. Right. And yet none of it would have worked had you not kept them on the beat. And yet, you know, how many famous conductors do we know today? You know, it's a, you know, the, the, the older ones were more famous, I guess, but these days. Very, very one name. Right. So, 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 you know, it's, it's about, it's about, a, you know, making a home for that loneliness that the CEO often feels. Yeah. Right. And, and saying to them, it's OK, you know, you have you have a sparring partner here. You, know, you can bounce ideas off me. You can say I'm troubled. You can say I can't sleep at night. And you're not going to, you know, if you say that as a leader, people are going to say, like, what kind of a leader are you? Yeah. yeah, Right. But then you some, you know, sometimes everyone needs a, 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 a release valve. Yeah. And part of that Ned positioning, especially on a chairman basis, is being that release valve. Yeah. creating space around around your leadership team. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. Michael, I, I massively appreciate you coming in today. Not at all. It's Not been an absolute all. pleasure speaking to you. And uh, yeah, we wish you all the best. But, um, Thank you very much. For our audience, um, please keep your eye out for episode three of the miniseries and we will see you all next time. All the best. 